welcome to Rhetoric O-Rama, a podcast about all things rhetoric. Here are your hosts, Dr. David R. Dewberry and Dr. Tim, as seen on TV, McGee. I'm Dave. And I'm Tim. And today we continue our first season of Rhetoric O-Rama by discussing the wonderful world of rhetoric. In this episode, we continue our three-part series on Aristotle's genres of rhetoric. Today's topic is the power and the mystery of epideictic rhetoric. But first, let's hear some untranslated Latin or Greek to get us started. De mortuus nil nisi bonum. What dead Roman said that one, Tim? Interestingly, that one is anonymous. It was said so frequently, we don't know what woman or man first said it. Hmm, how about that? All right, Tim, so the question before us is, what is epideictic rhetoric? Epideictic rhetoric is the rhetoric of praise or blame, and also the rhetoric of Look what a fine speech I'm given. Right, that's true. And so when we talk about praising somebody, we can praise them for about what's good, what's pleasant, the nice things they've done. Absolutely. Uh, we can praise people when they put honor before money. Yes. Right? They yeah. put their their social status, their esteem, their reputation above making money. Certainly. We can praise people when they put others before themselves. Right. So giving your money to others, perhaps, or helping others with yeah. your money. All right. So, and you also said it's about showing off our ability. Yes. So, if you think of the the notion of a masterpiece, say mm-hmm. uh, in uh, Renaissance painting, the Dutch masters would paint these paintings that they would fill with things that were difficult to represent. The painting would have a convex mirror. It mm-hmm. would have a goblet of water with water dripping down the glass. It would have fur. It would have a Persian rug. A and man whole... juggling balls of fire. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And the whole purpose was to demonstrate that you had the skills to master all these difficult tasks. And also, we could praise people, those, you know, talking about artists, when they copied paintings. Sometimes mm-hmm. you'll go to an art museum, you'll yeah. see people recreating the paintings there. In yeah. a way, they're practicing their skills, but they're also praising they are. the they're, one they're copying. They are praising the masters. But there's also another uh, part to this, right? And that's to urge a course of action. We praise things to other people so they can follow that example. So if I praise you, for example, for doing a great job, which you are, that's to other people, assigned to other people that they should do a similar job. Exactly. And also to get me to continue to do the thing that you're praising. Blaming works just the same, right? So if you don't like what somebody's doing, a group of people, you might single somebody out and say, you know, that's not good. You shouldn't do this. And hopefully the message is received to the entire group. Amen. All right, Tim, according to Aristotle, what exactly is virtuous? We talked about a minute ago a few examples of what is good, pleasant, honor, putting others before oneself. But he also gives us a list of other things. Yeah, he has uh, quite a catalog of things that he considers virtuous. One of the first is justice, to be just and law-abiding, or to be fair. You know, one, somebody uh, taught me this parenting tip, that if you uh, have you know, two little kids, I got two little boys, and they want to share a sandwich or something like that, you have one cut the sandwich, and the other one gets to pick which side they get. Oh, that to seems, kind of encourage, you know, fairness and justice. That that seems like a great parenting tip. And let's say, like you had, you know, there was a cat, and both kids want the cat. So what you could do is cut the cat in half and give half to each of the kids. That's not a bad idea, right? <laughs> I'm not pro-cat murder, but uh, if I was ever in that situation, I'll heed that advice. All right? right. So besides justice, there's courage. Courage. Yeah, so this is sort of a warlike period, so you want to be courageous if indeed you're invade, involved in courage. Right, you don't and want to be a coward in the face of danger or you, adversity. You do, you do not want to be a coward. And um, also, um, 
when we talk about this warlike culture, we have to remember that there are women in this culture and uh-huh. that they too need to sort of participate in these virtues uh, that support their men who are going off to war. Mm-hmm. So they could be courageous, not in necessarily facing the enemy in the battle, but doing the things that need to be done to support that war. Yes. Very good. And then there's temperance. Oh, temperance is, is very virtuous. And that's something where probably the women of Athens might have been considered more virtuous than the men because by virtue of them uh, exist, uh, exhibiting temperance from uh, not engaging in the kind of behaviors that go out and get drunk and raucous and do things like... Uh, cutting cats in half. And cutting cats yeah. in half, yeah. All right. And then there's magnificence, right? Yeah. The impressive spending of your resources to better your community. Yeah. So it's interesting that uh, Aristotle had said that uh, honor is more important than money. But it turns out if you've got money, there are ways to make it honorable mm-hmm. by spreading it around. It's like so, money laundering for honor. Yeah, right? exactly. So uh, these uh, uh, the great dramas of ancient Athens, these would be put on by sponsors, these, the a person who was, you know, wealthy from having been trading in olive oil or wine, etc., they would sponsor one of these dramas. So spreading your money around to the benefit of the entire polis was considered magnificence. Mm, what else does he have? He's also got magnanimity, which is being generous. So to do do uh, good things on a grand scale. And the opposite of that, the, what we would blame is being a person who's got a mean spirit. Yeah. Right? Stingy. Ebenezer Scrooge. Though that, is, that is not a virtue. That is not a virtue. There's also liberality. Right? Yeah. Helping and others. Helping right. others. And, and, you know, you take your resources and expend your resources for the good of the many. Mm-hmm. And then there's gentleness, right? Being kind. Yeah. And, and that, too, is interesting that during a period where they're often engaged in wars of conquest and building their empire, that gentleness is considered a virtue and, and possibly being gentle to your, the people that you had defeated in, uh, in a battle. There's also prudence and wisdom, right? Yeah. The ability to make wise decision and know what is good and what is bad. Absolutely. There's victory is the last one he mentions uh, in his list. Victory is something virtuous. You want to win. It's not virtuous to lose. Aristotle also mentions uh, that we can praise things that are and make them virtuous when they're similar to the audience. Yeah. Right? So if I'm praising uh, 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 somebody who's achieved some greatness, we could say that she has these characteristics that mirrors the audience. Uh, one of the things in uh, ancient Sparta the men used to grow their hair long. Mm-hmm. And so they were very fond of having long hair because one of the things that did was indicate that they couldn't possibly be engaged in menial labor because their long hair would get in the way. Mm-hmm. So long hair was a sign of freedom and independence. Like a hippie. Like a hippie. Like a and hippie. sort of a, a contemporary analog might be today, a woman who wears her hair, no, her, her, her nails very long mm-hmm. and wears uh, five-inch heels. Those could be indications that that woman couldn't possibly be engaged in something as menial as housework mm-hmm. because you can't do that in five-inch heels uh, with very long nails. I know I can't. I can't either. All right. So speaking of hippies, as we just talked about, uh, sometimes a epideictic rhetorician uh, or uh, uh, speaker would have to speak about people or things and praise them that aren't very virtuous. Yes. Right. And so you have to make those non-virtuous things appear to be virtuous. Yes. And he gives us four strategies. Yeah. One of the things you can do is you can talk about what the person has accomplished. 
they may not be the nicest person in the world, but if they've accomplished many things, you can focus on that. Yeah, what they've actually done. And his point here, Aristotle's point is, don't necessarily focus on you know, their birth status, their family, things they have no control of. Focus on what they've actually done. Yes. And sometimes you can focus on what the person would do. Yeah, so if someone happens to have died early and not really accomplished much, you could talk about what they would have accomplished if they had more time in which to do it. Now, this is a bit before my time, but when John F. Kennedy was murdered in Dallas, Texas, uh, they a lot of praise about him was about what he would do in the future. Yeah, right? because had he, he had... Lived, he had such a, a short term as a president, they could not uh, hold him up as someone who had accomplished a great number of things, but what they could do is conjecture about what he would have accomplished had he lived longer. Another strategy, if you find yourself needing to praise a non-virtuous uh, person and make them appear more virtuous, is you can take those bad qualities into good qualities. So for example, if somebody is, you know, doesn't think about what they're saying and just talks off the top of their head and uh, uh, doesn't give appropriate consideration to their thoughts, you could say that they're very forthright and have candor. Absolutely. Or if someone is uh, somewhat arrogant, instead of calling them arrogant, you can talk about how uh, uh, willing or able they are to speak out and to say their mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, another strategy, uh, you can amplify. Yeah. So uh, if someone hasn't done a lot, you could talk about that uh, woman was the first person to have done something, or she was the most recent person to have done something. Or it's possibly you talk about someone who uh, you know, did uh, the very best job or had done, uh, accomplished one of the rarest feats. Mm -hmm. So there are all manners of quantitative measures you can put onto someone's accomplishments that uh, focus on the onlyness of it. Or, you know, if there is a meeting and uh, one guy, the part of the uh, meeting, he ne never contributes anything to, but he shows up on time each and every time. He's right? always the first one at the meeting. He's always the first one there, but does absolutely nothing, right? Yeah. So you're focusing on the non-virtuous aspect yeah. and making it appear virtuous. And the last strategy Aristotle gives us is focus on um, not saying that the, the, the person is good, but they're better than others. Yeah. So basically you say, well... Uh, he got a D, but that's better than the people who got an F. That's true, right? Although there are sometimes, you know, maybe an F is better because if you retake the class, you can replace the grade with an F. Yeah, where that D school. lasts forever. The D lasts forever. So, Tim, what is epideictic rhetoric? Epideictic rhetoric is the rhetoric of the here and now and also the rhetoric of, hey, look at me and what a cool speech I'm giving. And I would say epideictic rhetoric is all about praise mm -hmm. and you can there's no wrong way to give an epideictic speech yeah because if you're going to praise someone you don't need to provide evidence for the claims you're making you just make the claims there's no structure to the speech you just say the person's good the person's great that's it you yeah. just repeat it. get yeah. a thesaurus about all these nice words or if you're censuring somebody or blaming them the same thing yeah right aristotle uh tells us we're very free uh, to do that. So if you ever gave a eulogy or something like that, there's no formal structure necessarily. None whatsoever. You have, just talk about how great a person is. Have you ever given a eulogy, Dave? I have not. I've given two. I gave one for my mother-in-law, and that was kind of straightforward. But I also gave one for my brother that was a little different. And it started with the fact that the night before the memorial service, we're gathered at the widow's house, and we're eating and drinking, and we're folding out the 
the, the programs, and I see on the program that I'm to give the eulogy for my brother, and I had no idea. Fortunately, I had a laptop with me, so I spent that evening in the motel coming up with a, a eulogy for my brother. And so when it came time to give it, um, there was a, a large auditorium in the basement of a church. Uh, my brother had been working for many years in the field of drug and alcohol rehabilitation. And so he knew a lot of people in the community, and they were all there to recognize him. And so I take his speech out of my pocket, and I start off and I say, my name is Tim, and I'm an alcoholic. And about 150 of the people say, hi, Tim, because they know the routine. And I say, whoops, wrong speech. And I put that one in my pocket and take out another one and then give the eulogy for my brother. Nice. Yeah, nice. it's always nice to start a eulogy with a joke. It always is. Are you ready for your challenge, Tim? I am, Dave. Okay. So uh, in Aristotle's three types of rhetoric, there's the, uh, each one deals with the past, present, or future. Judicial rhetoric or forensic rhetoric talks about what happened in the past. Deliberative rhetoric, as we've talked about in our previous episode, is about what we should do in the future. And epideictic is about the right now. But can't you praise things in the past or in the future? Absolutely. So if you're giving a eulogy, you are there on that day commemorating the man or woman who has died. So it's about the here and now, but often recounting the wonderful things they did in the past is the part of your eulogy. So that nowness of an epideictic uh, presentation is not just you only talk about things occurring now, but you celebrate. We are here now at this time and place celebrating things that occurred in the past, or possibly if it's a retirement event, what this person is going to go on and do in the future. Mm -hmm. And couldn't we also say that praising uh, somebody in the present can influence the future because of that one of those purposes of Aristotle's epideictic rhetoric is as a model for other people to follow or to avoid in their terms of blame. The good example. You're going right. to basically, you're going to understand that this person lived their life in such a way and you're going to leave that uh, that uh, funeral service saying, I hope that when I pass away, people are going to say such nice things about here's, me. Here's the last lesson this person has to offer. Yes. So that's also why the speech is in the present. Yeah. It's about the past and the future. Yes. It's like back to the future. Yes. Are you ready for your challenge, Dave? Yep. Okay. So you are going to have the opportunity to give the eulogy for someone, a real person, not a fictional person, who is not yet dead. Who is that person that you want to give the eulogy for? I would give that speech about Bill Clinton. Excellent choice. And I would do that uh, because it would give me immediate recognition because that's going to be on TV. Okay, so you're just doing it for your own fans. Yeah, that's not very virtuous, yeah. is it? Not very virtuous. But I think you're, you know, being a fellow Arkansan, uh -huh. you are... He's part of my community. He is part of your community. So I think you would be, you would be well positioned to give mm -hmm. eulogy for former President Bill Clinton. And I think I would also reflect well with the audience who feels your pain. <laughs> we good? We good. Now it's time for the bonus content. Will it be a fallacy, a historical anecdote, or rhetorical device? Let's have Dr. Tim spin the wheel. Looks like it's time for another historical tidbit. What's the historical anecdote? I've got one that's actually a two-part historical anecdote. We're going to start with William Shakespeare's speech by Mark Antony over the body of Julius Caesar. So Shakespeare has Antony come, and he should be giving an epideictic oration over Julius Caesar's a body. Eulogy. Yeah. 
But in fact, what he gives is a forensic speech because the first part of it, was Caesar guilty of all the things you say he did? And it turns out he's saying he was not guilty. And then were these honorable men who killed him, were they justified in killing him? No, they were not justified in killing him. So instead of giving the eulogy over Julius Caesar, he's giving a forensic speech. This guy is innocent and these people are guilty. Now, the other part of this historical anecdote is the fact that we don't actually know what Mark Antony said. But we do know that whatever he did say so riled up the crowd that they went down and burned down the villas of the conspirators who had killed Julius Caesar. That doesn't seem like the ends of an epideictic oration. No, <laughs> indeed it does not. But that is what happened. Do you have any other examples of good uh, uh, epideictic speeches throughout time? Well, it turns out I have a list of my top six favorite epideictic I've only got orations. my top four. My number one favorite is definitely Gorgias' Encomium of Helen. A classic. So what he does is he says Helen was not responsible for starting the Trojan War. Speaking of that, do you know what is a milli-Helen? If I'm correct, it's the amount of facial recognition that it requires to launch one single ship. Absolutely. You got that, right? Mm-hmm. My next favorite is Pericles. I'm at, I'm at like 10, <laughs> right? The, the, my next favorite is Pericles' funeral oration. And again, we get this from Thucydides' History of the Peloponnesian War. And he's giving a wonderful speech about uh, the people who defended Athens. And it's really more of a praise for Athens and Athenians than it was for the people defending Athens. Uh, the next one is the Gettysburg Address, which is an absolutely beautiful uh, epideictic oration. Uh, then Mark Antony's speech over the body of Caesar, basically the, the uh, Shakespeare version of that, I think, is a beauty. And then John Stewart's first show after the 9-11 attacks. It is a wonderful piece of epideictic oration. And then uh, my last one to wrap it up would be Steve Jobs' commencement address at Stanford in 2005. It was really a wonderful speech. It was a, just a, a terrific example of what a good uh, graduation speech should be like. Before we go get some cheeseburgers, let's take care of some business. Uh, Here's the advertisement for today. Tired of making that long trip to Delphi every time you need an oracle? Sick of the sulfurous stench at the Temple of Apollo? Can't make sense of that drug-addled priestess babbling in a trance? Well, we've got the solution to all your prediction problems. Come on down to the Oracle at Thebes. It's only half as far as Delphi and twice as accurate. Sick of having to sacrifice a young goat and pay a monetary fee? Worry not. The Oracle at Thebes is the original home of the all-cash prognostication. And you can forget having to decipher all that dactylic hexameter. Our seers predict your future in simple iambic tentrameter, or, for a few obols more, plain old Athenian prose. You say you want your seer to be sightless? The Oracle at Thebes saw you coming. Our crew of shamans include fully sighted, one-eyed, or blind as Tiresias. Come see which one catches your eye. So the next time you want a straight answer to such twisted questions as, was the guy I killed with the three roads meet my real father? Or why does my wife keep calling me Sonny? Come on down to the Oracle of Thebes. We're half as far as Delphi and twice as accurate. If our forecasts or something very like them don't occur before the next Olympiad, you can get a full refund or a voucher for another prognostication at some date in the foreseeable future. I'm David R. Dewberry, and that's Tim as seen on TV McGee. We're professors in communication at Ryder University, and this has been Rhetoricorama, a podcast about all things rhetoric. Now let's go get some cheeseburgers. That's virtuous.